The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help chief marketing officers in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Two of our companies, Digital Influence Group and RacePoint Group, are leaders in social media marketing in both paid and unpaid media. We've got a great show today. We'll be talking about online collaboration and organization with Clay Shirky, an adjunct professor at NYU's Graduate Interactive Telecommunications Program, where he researches the interrelated effects of our social and technological networks. Clay is the best-selling author of Here Comes Everybody, The Power of Organizing Without Organizations, and the recently released book Cognitive Surplus, Creativity and Generosity in a Connected Age. Clay has consulted with a variety of groups working on network design, including Nokia, the BBC, News Corp, Microsoft, BP, Global Business Network, the Library of Congress, the U.S. Navy, the Libyan government, something we have in common, Clay, and Lego. His writings have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Computer World, the Times of London, Business 2.0, and Wired Magazine. You must be tired, Clay, but it's great <laughs> well, to have you I've been you doing it a long time. It actually isn't as bad as it sounds when you put it in the list. <laughs> hey, Clay, tell us about your work at NYU from the sort of 30,000-foot level. What research are you currently working on? Well, so the what I'm currently working on uh, is the the most interesting thing right now is a class I'm actually doing in partnership with UNICEF. Uh, it's a design class that tries to take some of the service design principles from web design uh, in the developed world and to see where those same principles can be realized uh, using radios and mobile phones. So the idea is to treat the connected device as as a as being more like a phone than a computer um, the the most interesting project uh, to come out of that recently is uh, is an attempt to rethink the way children who are separated from their families during times of crisis the way information on them is gathered and distributed and the students on that project it's called rapid FTR for family tracing and reunification are looking at cheap ways to take what we've learned from the web which generally involves high-cost devices in the field, uh, and, to, and to, to try and reimagine that with low-cost devices. And this is, this is part of a theme worldwide, right, which is that the, the mobile phone is increasingly the tool we use to access these services. And the mobile phone-connected population, right, is, is, is nearly double the Internet-connected population. So that is, that is an enormous population to be, to be reached in various ways, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, with nonprofit services or, or, or for-profit enterprise. 
You know, I concur with you on on that uh, objective and, and the numbers. I don't know if you knew this, but you know, I've worked with Professor Negroponte for a number of years on his one laptop mm-hmm. per child program, and you know, and I, I view it as highly successful. But one of the things people forget is uh, the initial impact of his uh, of his work brought the cost of computing down to around two hundred two hundred and fifty bucks. As we move right. to more mobile phones and mobile devices that are very cheap. Does the cost of connectivity, though, start to raise its ugly head, and, and when do we get that cost down? Well, so this is the great, this is the great battle right now. You know, the fact that, that increasingly when smartphones ship, they ship with both Wi-Fi and with 3G uh, shows what the kind of cost and, 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 and price arbitrage war is. Uh, the, the, right now... The, the economics are lined up for mass market penetration of voice and SMS, uh, but not yet for data services. And the real question is, how long will the will the premium charge for data services make sense before it before instead the price starts coming down? Uh, because you can you can reach everybody in the mass market, and having you know lower margins on a much larger market makes more economic sense. My guess is that we're starting to see that in some places already. Certainly, it's true in Asia. Certainly, it's true in parts of Europe. Uh, my guess is that we. See see that uh, throughout the world over the next five to ten years, um, which is to say once the, once the infrastructure is paid for, as long as there's a competitive market, extending data services to everybody is just good business sense. So, you know, I was around, I've been around too long probably, but the, you know, I, I remember the uh, era in the early 80s where all the hardware vendors thought they were going to run computing uh, for, yep. you know, far into the future. And all of a sudden, there were these software companies that just took off. And the hardware vendors became sort of yesterday's news and basically just commodity. I look at the carriers right now in a number of countries for, you know, mobile phones and they remind me of the old computer makers and that pretty mm. soon it's just going to explode and they aren't going to be able to control, you know, the cost of data and that it's just going to fly and flow uh, in, in a free market. What are your thoughts? You know, I think that, that it really comes down to uh, the, thing that, the thing that displaced the hardware manufacturers as well, which is to what degree is there freedom to innovate on the platform and to what degree is there competition for uh, the customer's dollars. And where both of those things are true, uh, I think we're going to see incredible innovation and incredible spread of new tools into the hands of, into the hands of, of people who were previously locked out of that ecosystem. Uh, the big battle right now, obviously, is for ownership. The carriers are desperate to claw back uh, control of the content that flows over the network. Apple plainly is using the design premium for its products uh, to to create a restricted platform, so it's much harder to write to the Apple platform uh, than it is to the PC platform. Um, Android, Google's, Google's uh, operating system is trying to undo some of that. So it is really, just because it's worked out well in the past, doesn't mean, I think, that it's an, it's an automatic win for the consumer again today. Uh, every now and again, you get a national government willing to hand the keys to some uh, to some monopoly or other O2 industry. And it is, it, I think it is really an open question whether or not the carriers will be able to uh, implement the kind of tariffs and restrictions they'd like to, to preserve their, their market position. I mean, imagine what would have happened if uh, in the middle of the 1980s, the hardware manufacturers had been given some ability to lock out or otherwise control the software market. Um, that's, that's essentially what, the, what the, the, the carriers are fighting over today.
That's a good comparison. Hey, uh, it just makes me think of the tangents, and I've been watching so many of my friends buy iPads, uh, you know, um, as, as if we're, you know, lining up in the stores to get water before the hurricane. <laughs> but anyway, I can't help having known Mr. Jobs in previous lives that he really truly is changing the computing paradigm. I mean, are we really moving to a mobile device that is purely application-driven? Do you see that as, as not a fad but a trend that's changing uh, the way we compute? Well, it is... It is certainly a trend. I don't. I don't think it's the only trend. But when I when I look at the when I look at the iPad or the iPhone, what I see is really two different things. I see the App Store model, uh, plainly uh, part of the kind of managed ecosystem, and I also see the browser. Uh, and a little bit like when they shipped the iPod, they wanted they wanted to drive iTunes, but they also had to let people play MP3s. You couldn't imagine shipping an iPhone or an iPad without the browser. And I think the real arms race here is how much innovation is there going to be for service in service design for the browser versus innovation service design design for the app uh, for the application uh, you know the, the app store environment. And the rise of HTML5, of the next generation of HTML, which is much more multimedia capable, is, I think, the thing that's going to heat up that war. So I would look for people offering much closer alternatives to the kind of applications that are in the App Store through the browser sometime, you know, over the course of the next 18, 24 months. And Apple's reaction when that happens is going to be really interesting to watch because they have been great supporters of web standards because web standards sell devices and make those devices more usable. And yet, the possibility of standard, standardizing good, capable handling of real multimedia suddenly challenges the App Store model as well. You're talking about HTML5, right? Is yes, that's right. Which is the next generation of HTML, which has been designed to be multimedia capable and interactive from the beginning. We're, right now, we have a kind of bolt-on solution that sometimes is called AJAX, which is a particular way of making making web pages work more like services, more like applications. But HTML5, the next generation of HTML, starts with that as the goal. And between multimedia and and interactivity. HTML5, as a programming language, suddenly challenges some of what's in the App Store. Hey, uh, Clay, we have a huge uh, audience of professional marketers listening. Uh And, uh, you know, what's the impact of what we've just been talking about before we take our break, by the way? What's the real impact for marketers? What should they be thinking about? You know, we just saw them all run like a giant herd, uh, you know, to, uh, to getting ads on the iPad. But to me, that's very tactical. What's a higher level observation of the impact on marketers of all this? You know, I think, I mean, when you look at, when you look at, say, the wired application in the, in the, uh, in the or what have you. What Apple has done is they've they've offered a slice of their own design premium to external markets, right? So Apple's design premium is I could buy any number of MP3 players, but I'll pay extra for Apple's products because they're phenomenal. You know, the iPhone, iPad, so forth and so on. Uh, what they've done is they've taken that design premium and said essentially because this is a restricted sales channel, uh, we're going to offer that now to, to publishers and so on. 
the the upside of that is fairly obvious, which is that you know a design premium has always been part of the part of the marketing environment when when there's been a media component, radio ads, television ads, and so forth. The downside of that is that there are a lot of products that don't actually benefit from a design premium, which is to say the direct marketing world uh, actually doesn't get, I think, nearly as much out of the app store which may actually increase the competitive advantage of direct marketing relative to brand marketing on the web, already a kind of an uneven uh, contest, and that the current you know, must-get iPad, like you said, the water before the, before the, the, the hurricane, is that's a wasting asset, which is to say the pure novelty of getting an iPad app goes away within the next six months, and then we see what a real... Uh, head-to-head fight on the design premium is. And, and I think that there are going to be a couple of breakaway winners, but I think by and large it's going to settle into, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of mediocre ads are just never going to get enough traction on the, on the iPad. So in a way, I'm not sure how general purpose the iPad becomes for marketing. If, if there's something truly useful, so useful that it doesn't feel like advertising anymore, or truly excellent, that will do well. But I'm not sure that the average stuff gets really gets seen at all. And how about, uh, you know, everybody asks me what's the next big thing after we, I wrote a lot of the first stuff around social media, and, and it, it's just an extension of what you just said. I keep saying it doesn't sound big, but the whole concept of mobile couponing, digital couponing, sort of web loyalty through your mobile device sounds pretty big to me. What do you think? Yeah, the the um, one of my one of my former students, Dennis Crowley, has done a done a service called Foursquare, and this is the follow-on to his service Dodgeball, which he'd sold to Google some years ago. He actually he, he did quite a lot of the work on Dodgeball while he was uh, while he was with us at, at at NYU. And the difference between the two services is really incredibly instructive because Dodgeball was SMS based and 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 very basic, whereas Foursquare really feels like a full application there are badges there are there are sort of fun things to do it's 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 visually appealing and the ability to have that kind of visual appeal in your pocket with you wherever you go and to use it to sort of read the city to see where your friends are to decide where to go out uh, is is having effects that are on on you know people's sense of the city uh, the city they live in that are that are fairly profound so i think that i think we may be underestimating the degree to which mobile devices can actually let us uh, change the way we, we interact with one another, particularly in urban areas. And I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation on that coming down the pike, both, you know, both, both for marketers but also for people just designing social services in general. I, you know, obviously, there's ramifications for marketing and all of this, but really it is, it is a general design principle around these, these sort of new uses of mobile phones. We're talking to Clay Shirky about a number of interesting things. On Market Edge today, we're going to take a short commercial break. Please stand by, and we'll be right back. This is Larry Weber. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. 
Ad Media tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything Ad Media can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. Ad Media, strong ROI made simple. Hi, this is Joel Kamp. I want to take a moment to tell you about a revolutionary new theme for WordPress that's going to change the way you make websites. It's called the Socrates theme, and it is the number one WordPress product on ClickBank. You can see it in action right now at SocratesTheme.com. The Socrates theme has a ton of options for customizing your site, but what really makes it stand out is the ability to monetize your site instantly just by entering your ClickBank or AdSense IDs right inside the theme. That's right, there's no plugins needed. Go check it out now at SocratesTheme.com. From domains to digital marketing, social media to blogging, you can reach this broad audience by using what you're listening to now. Reach the thousands of internet marketers that download and listen live to the premier on-air and on-demand podcast network. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm to find out more today. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. Purse Strings, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Clay Shirky, professor for NYU's Interactive Telecommunications Program and author of the amazing books, Cognitive Surplus, and Here Comes Everybody, talking about online collaboration and organization. Before I go into a couple specific questions, Clay, I want to pick up a little bit on a string before the break. You know, you've spent a lot of time thinking about social media. Overlay social media's impact, especially with your student from Foursquare, you know, but overlay the future of social media impact with this concept of connected everywhere, mobile devices, and the impact it's going to have on business in general. The great, the great shift here uh, is, is, I think, the shift from advanced planning to spontaneous coordination, right? And anytime anybody gets their first mobile phone, they stop making plans, right? They stop saying, I'll meet you at 7 o'clock at this restaurant, and they say, I'll call you when I get off work, you know, ring me when you get to the neighborhood. Right? What, what is now possible is to do that with groups as well. Uh, to have much more spontaneous sense of both, you know, in the business environment, sort of when and how to meet, uh, sort of the mix between scheduling and impromptu, and in the social environment, also a mix between scheduled and impromptu. And the, uh, the, the both competitive pressure and the, the potential advantage for businesses, at least businesses trying to reach cons- customers, is to try and reach them at the moment that they're, trying to decide something, that they care about something. Not, I think, in that, oh, you're walking by the store and it rings your phone and tells you the shoes inside are very cheap. That's, I think that's every customer's nightmare. But rather, when I'm going out and I'm going to buy a new computer, a new pair of shoes, I'm going out to a restaurant, at that point, how much information can I get how quickly about what's, about what's on offer? And that, that shift, I think, from accepting that the customer is getting more information, more comparative information, and getting it in more real time, it creates significant downside for businesses, right? Obviously, there's, there's real constraints there. But it also creates real opportunities to say, 
we're going to we're going to go to the, we're going to go to people who are heading out into the world at the at the moment they're making a decision rather than kind of bombarding them with ads all the time and hoping they remember at the time that they do make a decision. Hey, uh, congratulations, by the way, on the recent release of your new book. Cognitive Thank you very surplus. much. Can you can you tell us the meaning of cognitive surplus in sort of a an elevator speech and, and talk sure. a bit about your premise behind the book? Yeah, so cognitive surplus is really two things. It's the cumulative free time and talent to the developed world, right? It's it's the discretionary time we have to to commit to any any particular activity we're interested in, and that is over a trillion hours a year. Uh, but we had that time for a long time, and in the 20th century, we didn't get things like Flickr and YouTube or Wikipedia or Yushahidi, one of the, the crisis mapping servers I write about in the book. The other thing that, that cognitive surplus is made of is, is being part of a media landscape that lets us all connect directly to one another so that we can use our free time and talents cumulatively. And that combination of ancient human motivations to sort of create and share, uh, coupled with modern technology that lets us do it together, is leading to a, to a, you know, a, a surprising explosion of large-scale aggregate or collaborative efforts of the sort that we didn't, we didn't have in the 20th century and that are already becoming commonplace in the 21st. So what you're saying, I mean, really as consumers become increasingly familiar with and comfortable with all these tools and social platforms, do you think the creation of collaborative sites like Wikipedia, old Jimmy Wales's thing, is this just the beginning and is it really just the first inning of all this stuff? I, I do think it's just the beginning, in part because what we've got right now is a sort of a world of special cases, right? Uh, Wikipedia, the oldest, you know, the oldest example we've got of sort of large general, uh, you know, public collaboration, has spawned countless people who've looked at that and said, well, if that can work, I can try something here. Right? The number of nonprofits experimenting with this, the number of you know, associations that say, hey, if we convene our members, we can actually help them do things for each other instead of just you know, taking their money and giving them a newsletter once, you know, once a quarter. And the, the spread of experimentation there, uh, most of which, it has to be said, won't work. Right? We're, we're in an era where it's not clear what works and what doesn't. But there is so much experimentation going on that even if 90% of it fails for one reason or another, people, you know, just some, some, something didn't gel, right? If one experiment in 10 works right now, it is, going to be, it is going to be transformative of society, right? I talk about a bunch of examples in the book. There's patients like me that's trying to change the way healthcare research is done. There's Pickup Pal that's trying to change the way carpooling is done to, to, to treat it as a much larger and more collaborative problem than, than has been done before. There's Yushahidi, the crisis mapping service, all of those things are based on a combination of new digital technology and ancient human generosity. And that, that combination uh, is turning out to be really powerful together. Help me a little bit, and the audience, I agree with you on all the societal impact. Help us, though, with, you know, the enhanced, with this enhanced level of collaboration, where we're all headed, how will it impact business and business departments. We talk a lot about marketing. You might want to start there. But i got to guess it's going to impact human resources, product development, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. Thoughts, Clay? You know, so he, here, here's an interesting story. Um, do you remember when CVS launched the disposable video camera a couple years back? 
Uh, it was this thing you'd buy for $30, and you'd go take a video, and you'd bring it back. Well, of course, it wasn't really disposable at all. It was a $150 camera. It's just they were going to rent it out $30 at a time and then hand you a DVD. So within days, within days after this thing comes out, uh, hackers have taken it apart. They're photographing the circuit boards. They're saying, you know, you can attach the wires here. And these things are flying off the shelf at $30 a time and never coming back, leaving CVS with a $120 hole in its pocket for every sale. So CVS says, we have a marketing and communications problem here. We are going to educate our customers that these things are disposable devices. Disposable devices. And the minute a business utters the words, educate the customer, that marks the exact moment where they have run out of ideas. So CBS tried this, and of course it failed, as it always fails. Meanwhile, the company that actually made the device, the hardware company, said, wait a minute, people want to own these things? And they, they started the flip camera. They launched the flip camera based on the behavior of CVS customers. So CVS had 100% of the market for cheap one-button digital cameras, and they blew it because they thought every interaction with the public that's now possible still has to go through the traditional channels. The crazy opportunity now is to treat the ability to see what the public is doing and to participate, to convene, to help, to, to ask their opinion, all of these kinds of things, can go not just in and out of the marketing and communications department, but can be part of R&D. And so the challenge for traditional Marcom, both, both the threat and the opportunity, is to what degree can that department suddenly become more valuable inside a business by talking about what consumers are doing, not just to the, not just to the people greenlighting the ads, but to the engineers, to the designers, to the service people. And if, if the Marcom Department of the World can become a general source of business intelligence, that will, that will deepen their, uh, uh, obviously deepen their value to the business. If, on the other hand, they say the only thing we want to do is talk while the customer is forced to listen or listen while the customer is forced to talk, right, to do either advertising or research. And all other novel aspects of the current communications landscape can just go to other departments. That will, that will result in a net shrinking of their value. So that, that I think, is the real, the real crux. There is no neutral going into the future. It, it, the, new the new features of the communications landscape means that Marcom either expands to take on R&D kinds of value or it contracts around its current function all of that value goes elsewhere into the business. Couldn't agree more. Hey, by the way, I love the title, Here Comes Everybody. Thank you very much. In that much. book, you talk about how people can use the web to organize without organizations. Since the release of the book, have you seen changes or advancements in the way people are using social technologies to self-organize around particular interests? I know you mentioned patients like me, which is more around... Uh, you know, medical research, but I'm I'm thinking more broadly than that. Any thoughts? You, yeah, I think the big broad change is is related to the one you and I were talking about just a moment ago, which is this this combination of sort of mobile and real time. Uh, when I wrote the book, uh, you know, I wrote it sort of 2006, 2007, came out 2008. The big the big use of the network to get people to have face-to-face -face meetings was Meetup, right, which involved scheduled meetings once a month with people who shared your interests. What we're seeing now is this explosion in kind of gameplay, right, people using, uh, using these tools to get people to interact, you know, to, to, to get them out into the world interacting with one another uh, in real time in much more spontaneous ways. 
So the shift away from the personal computer and towards the mobile phone in terms of, of sparking real-world meetings, using, using the Internet as, a, as an augment, augmentation of real life rather than as an alternative to it, uh, that, is, that is accelerated much faster, I think, than, I, than, I, than I'd predicted e- even in 88. I said, you know, this, this will accelerate, but little did I know that within a year of the book coming out, the, the, the effects were actually going to be you know, manifesting themselves everywhere. Hey, one question. We're winding down here, but one question I get a lot from senior managers Uh at companies and people in our audience is, you know what, they wake up and they listen to all the stuff you and I are saying and others, and they say, this makes sense, but I think we're organized completely wrong to actually approach the marketplace in the proper way. What do you say to people on organizational structures that are probably 1960 at the best? You know, the key... The key change here for organizational structure is that for a business, the effect of failure is likelihood times cost, right? How, how likely is it you will fail, and what's the cost of each failure? But almost all businesses are organized around reducing the likelihood of failure. We've all sat in that meeting where you look around the table and you say, we just spent more energy talking about whether or not something would be a good idea than we would have spent actually just trying it. And what the web does, what, what mobile phones do, what all this digital technology does, is it lowers the cost of failure. But to take advantage of that, you have to have a culture that understands how to fail fast and to fail informatively. And those are two things businesses tend to be bad at. And I think that is the great organizational challenge around this particular corner of the media landscape, which is the companies whose experimental tempo changes. Not that they have bigger and bigger and more grandiose experiments, but rather that they have smaller and cheaper and faster ones that they genuinely learn from. That's, that's I think, the, the, where, where the competitive advantage is starting to appear. I couldn't agree more. And since you are one of our more interesting uh, interviews, Clay, I'm going to throw my last question that I throw to those interesting people, and that is, Aside from your expertise, any fun, interesting new web things you've seen that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, that's funny. I mean, of course, I look at that. I look at that stuff all the time. Uh, but you know, the minute you ask me a question, I I, I blank out except for a couple of uh, a couple of web looks. But I'll tell you, there is there is an uptick in the sort of design of these digital toys. The the things for things for creating drawings or creating music um, that's, that's, you know, the precursor to the HTML5 stuff, the, the people illustrating ways of using the web to have the kind of multimedia experience that we're used to uh, from, you know, from applications that are, that are resident on your PC. And that, that I think, is, is going to be something we're going to see a lot more of because that experimentation is becoming really, really essential right now. Clay Shirky, professor of NYU's Interactive Telecommunications Program, best-selling author of Cognitive Surplus. Here comes everybody. Please go out to Amazon or your bookseller of choice to buy these books. It was great having you on Market Edge today, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, in the audience for listening to today's conversation. Do visit webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time. Uh, of the United States on Tuesdays when we post the new episodes of Market Edge. Till then, this is Larry Weber. Bye-bye.